Are you ready to talk Padres baseball? We've got you covered. Now is the right time to bring back Padres Social Hour as we await the start of the regular season. Friar Faithful, get ready to sit back, relax, and join the conversation. Now, coming to you from everyone's homes around San Diego and beyond, it's Padres Social Hour with your host, Jesse Agler. Hey, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Padres Social Hour on this April 15th. That, of course, around baseball is Jackie Robinson Day. Padres would have been getting ready to play their 18th game of the season. Another one against Colorado, by the way. Somehow it would have been their 18th game of their season and their 35th against the Rockies. But I guess that's neither here nor there. Going to talk plenty about Jackie Robinson today. Also, a color barrier that was broken right here in San Diego one year after Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in the National League. And we'll have some fun, of course. Very happy to be joined by both. Bob Scanlon and Annie Heilbrunn, good evening to you both and everybody watching and listening wherever you may be on Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitter, Twitch, or this evening on 97.3 The Fan. Uh, Guys, like I said, let's start with Jackie Robinson Day. It's a special one around baseball. And uh, Bob, there is no other place to start on April 15th. We know that if we were at Petco tonight for that game, uh, it would be uh, number 42 all over the place. Jesse, great to see you. Andy, great to see you as well. And yeah, it's a special day and it's unfortunate that we don't get a chance to spend it where we should be in a Major League Baseball park honoring one of the greatest players uh, in baseball history for so many reasons. But, you know, it's such a great day of pageantry when we're at the ballpark. As you mentioned, Jesse, everybody's wearing their number 42. They've got special 42 plates on all the bases. Um, You know, players get special shoes made up and do all, all kinds of fun things to honor and commemorate. Uh, the late Jackie Robinson. And I'm sure we'll talk a lot about the impact that he had. But for me, I just think about all the great players that we've had a chance to enjoy because of his courage and because of his strength. When we Willie Mays and Hank Aaron and even here in San Diego, of course, Tony Gwynn. So we have a lot to be thankful for, for uh, everything that he did. And uh, it's it's great to be able to remember him today, even though we can't do it in a major league park. Annie, you've been around many of these Jackie Robinson days. It's one of those markers, I guess, on the baseball calendar. And there's a bunch of them. Uh, You know, they've done a good job, I think, of making these holidays really feel like a part of baseball. Or maybe it's the other way around. Baseball feels like a part of these holidays. Jackie Robinson Day and then it's Mother's Day and Memorial Day and Father's Day and the 4th of July and then the All-Star break. I I think for those of us who who work in baseball the way we all do and for fans who follow the game, I'm sure the way most of uh, the folks who are with us follow it, it, it's like it really is a, a marker on the calendar. Yeah, it really is, Jesse, and it's great to see you guys both. And, you know, you mentioned it. It would have been the 18th game today, and this is one of those marks in the season. And like you said, you're kind of rolling along. You get the first few weeks going, and you get to this marker, and you do. You look out on the field. You see all the 42s. You take a, a second, and you stop, hopefully more than a second, you know, for, for that day at least and beyond. And you think about the real impact that Jackie Robinson had. Um, I know covering this, you know, year after year, a lot of times you um, you get the assignment, right, to, to talk to players about Jackie Robinson and to kind of get a grasp of what the impact has been, um, you know, since, since he broke the color barrier. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, bosses or editors or producers will tell you, well, you go talk to black players either in the Padres clubhouse or in the opposing clubhouse. So over the years, you know, I've done that just like you guys have. And a few players have stopped me afterwards and they've said, you know, we appreciate talking about this. We want to talk about this, but why aren't you guys talking more to white players as well? And I thought that that was just such a great thing to remind us all too, that this isn't just something that impacted black players. This is something that impacted the game as a whole. And just what Jackie Robinson had to endure. It's something that everyone should be remembering and not just black players being grateful for 
the way that he was able to to pave that path for them. Yeah, the other thing, of course, is that he was a, a heck of a baseball player. You never forget that aspect of it either. But you're right, the impact he had on the game, on everybody involved in the game. And you could easily say beyond that, society at large, uh, the first uh, black player inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame you saw there in the early 60s. I mean, he uh, he did some remarkable, remarkable things. The story, I, I guess, to most baseball fans is pretty familiar at this point. Um, but every year, you know, you, you read a different article or you remember something perhaps you had forgotten or there's there's some other piece of information that's tweeted out about Jackie Robinson. Really an absolutely remarkable human being, career and athlete. Um, for anybody who spends any kind of time at Petco Park, you know about the fun facts that end up on the video board uh, put together by Jeff Prod and his staff in the production room for the Padres. Uh, Jeff was nice enough to put together some Jackie Robinson fun facts. Obviously, we can't be at the ballpark for the game tonight. Uh, but some of this stuff, like I said, is perhaps a well-worn territory and something we all know. Others, maybe you knew it once and you forgot. Some of this you may have never known before. Those Berlin Olympics in 1936 made famous by Jesse Owens. Jackie's brother, Mac was the silver medalist in the 200 uh, after Jesse Owens won the gold medal there, uh, played as a, as a youngster with Bob Lemon and Ted Williams here in Southern California. He was the first ever four-sport varsity athlete at UCLA, grew up, of course, in Pasadena, uh, tremendous at all four of those sports, obviously. Uh, he had his military career at first, uh, couldn't get into officer candidate school, but Joe Lewis, who befriended him or he befriended Joe Lewis, the famous boxer at the time, uh, made it so that uh, Jackie could get into that program. Uh, one that jumps off the page to me and it's just devastatingly sad and also ridiculous. You know, looking back now, he didn't get a tryout for the Army baseball team. I mean, if that doesn't tell you about the the times, that's during World War II. Uh, I, I don't know what could. Mentioned, uh, obviously, the Rookie of the Year in 1947. That award is named after him. MVP just two years later. And as mentioned, the, the first black player in the National Baseball Hall of Fame inducted in 1962. Uh, Bob, you grew up in that area in Los Angeles, and obviously uh, he was a Brooklyn Dodger, but uh, the Dodger organization, the Met organization, I, I think were for a long time the ones kind of celebrating Jackie Robinson. Mets because of their National League heritage in New York, the Dodgers, of course, being the team he played for. Uh, but since 1997, uh, baseball really has done a good job of making this a, a league-wide thing. They really have. And Jesse, you scared me for a moment there because you, you were about to say when you, you played in his area, I thought you were going to say you played in his era. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, I missed his era a little bit. But it was so interesting looking at that list of facts about Jackie Robinson. And it, it reminds us that there is some context also to that era. When we're talking about 1947, just historically, we've talked about obviously the impact that he had on the game of baseball but really in society as well. And you have to remember at that time, we're just coming out of World War II. Communism had defeated Nazism in, in Eastern Europe. Communism was taking over Eastern Europe. It was really taking a stronghold in, in Asia. And here in the United States as well, there were marches going on for communism here in the United States. And Harry Truman, the president at the time, was really in a bind because he was trying to show that democracy was the better thing for the world. But how can you promote democracy when such a large portion of your society is has racism against it? So really, baseball not only helped you know, bring black athletes into to pro sports, but it really was impactful in that time and that all of a sudden the United States was looked at doing something unique. And it wouldn't have been the same if it had been basketball would not have been the same if it was based, uh, football. It had to be baseball, which was really the fabric of our society. And that really, I mean, from a political standpoint, helped things and really started a lot of the civil rights movement that started taking place at that time as well. So not only was he an amazing baseball player, but really changed the course of history here in the United States and, and arguably affected it worldwide as well. 
Yeah, it's an interesting point you make about the different sports. Uh, I'm sure I've thought of it before, but not in a while. And I think you're right. The the place of baseball in American society in 1947 was one where it was able to have that impact probably more than any other sports. No question about it. And I, I st- still today, it amazes me that no matter where I go in the world, no matter who I'm talking to, if I want to connect with somebody, I almost invariably can go to baseball. And I can't do that as much with basketball and football. And I, I love those sports as well. But still, to me, worldwide, baseball is that one sport that seems everybody's got an opinion on it, no matter what. I'm, Andy, I'm sure you've had that same experience. Yeah, I think it's a great point, too. I mean, it gets lost a little bit how good Jackie Robinson was as a player sometimes because we are talking about his influence in history. But then at the same time, like you cannot not talk about, obviously, the influence in history, but also just how it shaped uh, history and civil rights going forward. And the fact that baseball was and it still is a big part of that and is such a big part of the fabric that is it's kind of like a snippet. It's like a microcosm of just the entire world in some in some aspects. So it really is uh, really fascinating and interesting to see. And, 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 you know, even coming out of that for him, like, I wish he would have been able to coach or manage. Um, I know that that was something I believe that he wanted to do and he didn't get a chance. And, you know, you think about that, what would have that been like? You know, um, so so just the, what he was able to do and accomplish and even having some of his own teammates petition against him and having, you know, all of the problems that he had and just to still be such a dominant and amazing player. It really just says a lot about who he was and the right person to take baseball and the world, the country into that at the time. Yeah, you mentioned uh, manager makes me think of, and I've told this story before, Frank Robinson, of course, ends up yeah. being the first African-American manager. He is also coincidentally many years later, or some years later, Mark Grant's uh, first ever manager in the big leagues in San Francisco <laughs> in 1984. So this was like a totally chance thing that happened. I guess it was two years ago. Uh, we're at Dodger Stadium, and Frank Robinson happened to be there that night. And it was before the game, and Mud and I were just walking from the dining room to, to the booth uh, you know, at Dodger Stadium in the press box. And we end up coming up on Frank Robinson, who's walking, uh, you know, with somebody. I'm not sure who it was. And uh, Mud lights up like a kid. You know, I mean, this was his first big league manager, a Hall of Famer, an icon, an icon for all kinds of different reasons on the field, off the field, as we're alluding to. And and Mud sees him, like I said, he kind of lights up and he goes to shake his hand. And, you know, Frank Robinson, very stern and serious, like he's an imposing figure even at that point in his life. And Mark puts out his hand. He says, Mr. Robinson, Mark Grant, so good to see you. And and so I'm like literally standing between them, kind of going back and forth like this is unbelievable that I'm witnessing. This. And Frank Robin just goes like deadpan, like straight face. He goes. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't ever smile or laugh about it. And it was like he was flashing back to 1984 and dealing with rookie Mark Grant and whatever that might have uh, uh, entailed at Candlestick Park. It was phenomenal. I know. That's Stan, so boring. Yeah, we can both picture that, right? Scan, you can picture that completely. Not only can I picture it, but it just (laughs) emphasizes who Mark Grant was, because when you think of all the things that Frank Robinson has experienced in his life, all the trials and tribulations, and Mark Grant is at the top of the list of things that he had to endure. (laughs) He was definitely kidding. I want that. That's a great story, though, Jesse. And it's also, um, you know, both of you guys know this, you know, you never know who you run into in some of these press boxes around, you know, in, in stadiums around the league. And it's just, I mean, that's really phenomenal. That's a great story. Just one of those baseball moments that, you know, you you can't make up. 
it was uh, it was all time. You know, right place, right time makes you feel a little bit like Forrest Gump to be able to witness something like that. But Frank Robinson, <laughs> like I said, this icon of baseball and society, you know, busting muds chops was was pretty outstanding. <laughs> all right. Our stat of the day today involves Jackie Robinson. Maybe the thing aside from breaking the color barrier he is most known for is his ability to steal home. To me, the most exciting play in baseball. Don't at me. Uh, in his career, Jackie Robinson stole home 19 times. You take these other great base dealers in Major League history, Ricky, Lou Brock, Rock Reigns, Vince Coleman, Joe Morgan, Willie Wilson, Campanaris, Lofton, Ichiro, Aparicio, Jimmy Rollins. Combined, they stole home 18 times, one less than Jackie Robinson. Scans, did everybody ever steal home? I mean, it's usually against the left-handed pitcher, I guess. But, I mean, is there anything that, that could be as frustrating as that for a pitcher, I imagine? No, it's truly embarrassing because you know that you are fully responsible for allowing that to happen. And I love that play right there. That is in the 1955 World Series. It's game one, Dodgers versus the Yankees. And that's Yogi Berra going absolutely ballistic because Jackie Robinson is able to steal home plate off him. Now, what's so funny about this play also is you got to keep in mind, the Yankees still went on to win that game. They were winning six to four. That made it. They they held on to win that game, game number one, six to five. Although the Dodgers would end up winning the series, and through his entire life, Yogi Berra would swear up and down that he got Jackie Robinson out on that play. And it's so funny because I actually have a picture right on my wall right there. You can't see it, but it's a, me with Yogi Berra. I got a chance to meet him um, at an All Star game, and uh, I wish I'd had the foresight back then to ask him about that play and just get him fired up again about it. But it is one of those great moments. You know, it's really interesting. Also, we talk about that stolen, that deal of home. It's one of the most famous in the history of Major League Baseball. But you might be able to argue that actually his very first stolen base of home plate may have been more important, which actually took place on June 24th of that season. And it was against Fritz Ostermüller, who was a pitcher for the Pirates. And why it was significant is because Ostermüller had actually hit Robinson earlier in the season. Jackie was not happy about it. The entire Dodger team was not happy about it, yet there was no reaction at that time, and they waited until a later game. Robinson was able to get on first base. He got himself the third, and then he stole home plate against Ostermüller in that situation, and it ended up being the game-winning run. So it sort of demonstrated not only the temperament that, that Jackie had, but also his sense of timing about, okay, now it is time to sort of put it in his face a little bit and show these guys that I can play. It's amazing. It's one of those like mono a mono things in baseball that uh, you don't get to see too often, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And and again, it's it's all on the pitcher. You can't blame anybody else. That's me not paying attention. That's me taking too long to deliver the ball to home plate. And uh, you know, credit to the runner, but really, he's stealing off the pitcher in that situation. So, yeah, you do take it personal. I think it's a ballsy play. I like it. I mean, obviously, I I, I wouldn't at you, um, Jesse, because I'm with you. I mean, I think it's one of the most exciting plays in baseball, and it gets. Both dugouts equally, you know, riled up for different reasons. Um, but it's one of those plays that you just watch over and over and over. And for Jackie Robinson to have that many is phenomenal. And I just want to also point out that, you know, you're, you're name dropping Frank Robinson and Scans name dropping Yogi Berra and I got nothing. All right. (laughs) Once you drop Yogi Berra in there. Okay. (laughs) But yeah, no, it's, he's got a picture. I didn't even get a picture. I just, I I just saw a funny story happen. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing about stealing home, I mean, again, the straight steal of home is like the double steal. I don't want to hear about that. Like, that. That doesn't do anything for me. You know, the guy takes off for second base. It's kind of a, a set play. Uh, but the last one I remember for the Padres, I think was 2016. It was Melvin Upton Jr. Uh, I remember. And he had the great slide. 
That's what I recall was kind of he did like the matrix thing at home plate, kind of avoiding the tag. But there's so many different ways to try and get in there. I, I think, Bob, too, just from like the pitcher standpoint, you see a lot of the highlights. And, and there were obviously a bunch going around today of guys with the straight steal of home. Like at least a third of the time, the pitcher is like so rattled by the moment that the ball ends up being thrown almost to the backstop. Oh, everybody's rattled. It's not one of those things that you really practice. And you're exactly right. You, you you see the guy take off. You hear somebody, usually your third baseman screaming, he's going, he's going. And your first thought is, who's going? That guy's <laughs> third base? Oh, no. What do I do? Do I speed up my delivery? Do I just go through a regular delivery? Do I knock the pitcher down and try to give my catcher a chance to tag him out by getting the, the uh, batter out of the way? What do I do in this situation? And the catcher is going through all the same things. as well. What do you mean he's going? Where's this ball going to go? What is happening here? So it, it does create a lot of mayhem, no question. What's that like after a game, Scans, when you've got to kind of think about that? You know what I mean? Like, it, that, that's a tough one to, to swallow. Oh, it is. And it's, it's one of, you don't sleep that night, Annie. You don't. I mean, you're thinking about <laughs> it. You ruminate about it all night long, regardless of whether the team won or lost. You know yeah. that you just got embarrassed on the field in that situation. So usually you have a discussion with your catcher. You know, you know what, turned, what happens, Annie? Everybody starts going around patting each other like, Hey, it's okay, man. You know, those <laughs> things happen. You know, it's one of those. <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> oh, it's the worst. Everyone's just kind of like trying to, to you know, sit, put a little solve on it so that it's not quite as painful for the rest of the day. Absolutely. All right, Jackie Robinson Day, our tribute in a roundabout way to number 42 here on Padres Social Hour. So, yeah, I said Melvin Upton Jr., the last guy I recall for the Padres with a straight steal of home. I don't know why I remember this, but last year in spring training, I think Naylor stole home as part of one of those double steals. So I don't want to completely ignore Josh's accomplishment because we don't think of him as a base dealer necessarily. But he did technically uh, steal home in a spring training game last year in 2019. But uh, a guy that I think could try it at some point, probably sooner rather than later, is Fernando Tatis Jr. Maybe, Annie, that's like the only thing we did not see Fernando try in his rookie season. Uh, He definitely can do it. Uh, And you're right. And I I wouldn't be surprised if we see it multiple times from him. Um, But he's one of those players that you know he's got it in him. And when he does it, just wait. I mean, like, you know, can you imagine fans in that? I mean, right now we can't even imagine fans, right? But if you you can imagine fans, it it would be so electric. I mean, just because you know his personality and what he would be like after that happens. But his speed... His speed and his instincts and his know-how, um, because he just he, he just has those instincts. He knows when to go and when not to go, and he's just he's gonna yeah for sure he's gonna blow us away. Bob, going in, into clubhouses as often as both you and Annie do to talk to players on the other teams, you're getting ready to to face them with the Padres. I mean, by the time we got later in the season, and obviously he ended up being hurt and shut down towards the end of the year. But once we got kind of like well into the season, and Fernando had established himself as what he was sort of this electric, excited player. Did, did you start to get the sense in those other clubhouses like they were going to pay extra, extra, extra attention to him when he was on the bases? Jesse, no question about it. And what was so interesting, and I think I've mentioned this before, is that in going into those other clubhouses, there's, there's an element of, hey, we know this guy might do something to try to show us up, right? He might try to steal home on a pop-up to second base. He might try to do something. And so there's a certain level of just professionalism of not wanting to get embarrassed on the field by another player. But on the other hand, with what Fernando does, it's so unique. It's so outrageous in some cases. And it's just something that guys don't see that even though there's part of them that's thinking, I don't want to get embarrassed. There's also part of them that are saying, gosh, I hope we see something like that tonight because I've never seen anything like it before. I hope it doesn't happen to me, (laughs) but it happens to one of my teammates and we're going to see something amazing. This is the young man that can do it. I've never had opposing clubhouses before show 
disappointment that another player on the other team would not be able to be in the lineup when he was on the DL at the end of the season. I've never experienced that before. Um, and, and that was certainly the case with Nando Tatis Jr. He is unique. He has the physical skills. And, and as Annie pointed out, he's got the intestinal fortitude and just the baseball sense to make things happen on a field that takes advantage of what guys aren't expecting. Yeah, you know something else on that scans, you know, and Jesse, I know you see this too, is he he respects the game. And I think other players respect that about him. And I think that's also a reason that they just love to watch him play. He he looks like a kid out there. He reminds them, I think, of them in a lot of ways, um, you know, coming up and, and enjoying the game. And maybe before, you know, they allowed maybe some of the, the games, um, you know, I, I, the ways that, you know, the game can kind of, mess with your head a little or whatnot, you know, Tatis goes out there and he just plays. And I think that there's just a respect for him for doing that. And like, like Scan said, same here, opposing players all the time last year would talk about how they would just sit back and watch him and just be amazed by what he was doing. And they would look forward to watching him. So I, I can't wait, you know, and I know baseball isn't here right now, but I can't wait until we see more of what he can do because you know that it was just the tip of the iceberg last year and what's around the corner for him is just going to be nothing short of spectacular. Yeah, that's a great point, Andy. Jesse, can I just say one thing? And I know you've experienced this also, Jesse. Players are so proud, right? They don't want to acknowledge that there's maybe somebody else that's better than them on the field. No matter how good they are, they always feel threatened. But with, with, with Fernando, I got the feeling that no matter how good the other players are on the other teams, they're willing to acknowledge this kid's better than me. And that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, that's uh, that's like the ultimate nod of uh, respect and appreciation yeah. coming from the other side. It is, by the way, I should mention, it is game day for Fernando. In fact, about eight <laughs> minutes from now, he'll get it going. Uh, it, it's day two for him in that Players League on MLB The Show. Uh, I would imagine most folks have found out about this already. You can check it out at twitch.tv slash ftatis coming up, uh, like I said, at 6 o'clock tonight Pacific uh, so if you leave us in eight minutes, I won't be offended. I mean, he's he's more entertaining than I am. I know that. I'm cool with that. But uh, he's got his uh, video game MLB The Show 20 coming up. He went three and one in his uh, first four games on Sunday, and he'll play a few more tonight. These are three inning games against other major leaguers. It starts off as a big round robin. Every team is represented by one guy, and uh, Fernando representing the Padres very well so far. We will have highlights of uh, everything he does tonight on tomorrow's show so uh you, you don't want to miss that speaking of this by the way the, the highlights have kind of been everywhere and and when i say highlights i don't even necessarily mean the gameplay it's more about the guy's reactions and yeah. fernando was beautiful the other day uh reacting to uh video game tatis to video game machado to video game fam uh doing great things yeah he was screaming like a maniac exactly julie even on the video <laughs> game and and uh this one really caught my eye i thought it was stellar uh, amir garrett the pitcher for the reds Probably at this point, no disrespect to him, most known for trying to fight the entire pirate team uh, late last season. You remember that was the big brawl where he charged the pirate dugout. Those two teams have kind of been going back and forth a couple of times over the course of the season. It began earlier in the year uh, with the Derek Dietrich Homer, as I recall, that he admired more uh, than the Reds wanted him to. Uh, but anyway, so Amir Garrett, he's you know known for that, but he's truly hilarious. And so I guess yesterday in his game against uh, John Duplantier of the Diamondbacks. Uh, he was trying to close it out. He needed one more out. He handed the controller over to his fiance to get the final out. Check this out. <laughs> it's Chris Triangle. My, my fiance is going right here, guys. Arizona down to its last strike. Oh, right. Don't the first name circle. Right there. 
<laughs> My fiance got the last out on you, Doug. Now, I, I know we have like unwritten rules up the whatever in baseball. Uh, I don't know if those apply to video games, but handing the control over to your fiance in a 7-1 game when you're a strike away from winning is pretty harsh. Uh, that was very funny. First of all, you can see that Amir Garrett is a serious gamer, Annie, because he's got the gamer chair. Uh, that stands out to me. Uh, yes. So he, he's not messing around on here. He's, he's one to watch, I think. Uh, we are learning a lot about these gamers, just like you just mentioned, Jesse, whether they've got the chair, what kind of setup they have, what they've got going on Twitch and their reactions, like just like that. The reactions are better than the game by far. They're better yeah. than anything. Uh, so in this time where we don't have a lot, uh, the reactions, at least like you mentioned of Tatis, those reactions after after um, his home runs the other day, you know, in the video game, like we will take it because, you know, it's it's at least a little bit entertaining right now and getting us through a tough time. But uh, I think his wife will have some retribution or his fiance for all of that. I think that they'll there'll uh, there'll definitely be some comebacks there for sure. <laughs> Bob, it's been such a great way to to like get a little bit more insight into these guys personalities like we know about Fernando because we're around him, but we don't necessarily know much about Amir Garrett or, or some of these other guys in the games. Yeah, they're gregarious, they're fun, and these guys are competitive. And that's what goes on in the clubhouse before the game also. There's, there's always competitions going on. It doesn't matter what it is. They're going to be betting watching a, a golf tournament on TV that the guy makes the putt or misses the putt, or they've got a video game going on. The, my favorite part of that whole little video that we just saw there of Mir, though, is the fact that his fiance actually gets the final out, but she doesn't get any airtime. He actually yes. gives his dog airtime <laughs> and celebrates with the dog. So... Amir, I love the enthusiasm. I love the passion. But, dude, if you want to stay married for any period of time, you're going to have to learn to, to, to give the uh, fiance a little bit of airtime as well, buddy. She does get the save, though, right? Because she got the final. <laughs> yeah, she does get credit for the save. Well, yeah, but she didn't get she didn't get the face time. So I don't know. I mean, maybe that was by design. Maybe she said, whatever you do, don't put me on air. But I just thought it was kind of funny that he actually yeah. doesn't celebrate with his pit bull. That's what uh, I'm saying, too, I it's not though. a safe situation. I should correct myself. Okay. Now, the I'm other thing I noticed for the... Sorry, Annie, go ahead. No, I'm saying the same thing. Like, where's her credit? You know, that's what I'm saying. Like, she's she's going to have her moment, I'm sure. She'll get it eventually. <laughs> yeah, it might be worth tuning into his next uh, game to see what happens. Yeah. By the way, he's wearing a St. John's basketball jersey. He played at St. John's. He was on the basketball team there. So I wonder if that uh, that's another cool little uh, thing there. I am, in, in kind of a, like a serious way, very curious to see how it goes when he plays the Pirates in this thing. Because he's going to be presumably, you know, talking to a guy on the Pirates after the incidents that those two teams had last year. And again, a lot of times, I guess we say, particularly in this era, hey, it's water under the bridge when that kind of thing goes on. And, and perhaps one guy might, you know, feel one way about it versus another guy on that team. But again, he single handedly charged their dugout uh, in, in a brawl last year. Bob, am, am I overthinking this at all or, or could there be something interesting when he plays the Pirates at some point? You never know, because a lot of times we think that all those things are just going to get brushed aside and they're really not that a big deal. I had an incident with a player who's going to remain nameless right now that it was literally almost 20 years after the fact. And he and I were still having issues about uh, an incident that took place on the field. In fact, it wasn't settled until about five years ago in the press box at the, at the salad bar in, at the press box at Petco Park. 
where he and I finally buried the hatchet. So these things can carry over for a long period of time. You never know. So uh, it will be interesting to see. But I, I love that moment where he challenges the entire pirate dugout. And you know what? Not a single guy came out. Kudos to him. It was uh, really bizarre. Of course, the salad bar is where things get all, you know, for the final time. That's uh, <laughs> it's very baseball. No, literally, this has gone on for years and years, Annie. And 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 he and I came face to face. He was scouting for another organization and we came face to face again. I looked up and there I am. And I'm thinking, oh, no, we're going to have a fight right here as I'm putting cucumbers on my salad. <laughs> and we looked at each other and we, we kind of agreed, hey, is it time to bury this thing? Yeah, man, let's put it aside. And, and, what, and what's kind of cool is since then, I've seen him multiple times in other stadiums. And, uh, you know, we chit chat, we catch up. How's the family? What's going on? So um, you, you never know. Sometimes they get brushed under the rug quickly, but obviously sometimes those things can linger for decades. Wow. That's that's a great story. But it's true. Nothing like, uh, as they always say, nothing like spring mix and shaved carrots uh, to pull <laughs> <Exactly>. everyone off. <laughs> um, I don't know. It'd be funny. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm probably going to watch that one just to see if it's like quiet, like if they're not talking to each other or if they act like nothing happened. Like, I don't imagine either one of them is going to be like a jerk about it. Um, but it could be a little icy, which, again, I find uh, kind of entertaining. So that's uh, Amir Garrett. Um, one other thing I want to get to here, we got an interview coming up in just a moment. Uh, again, Jackie Robinson Day, had we been at the ballpark, the Padres would have been giving out uh, a $5,000 check to high school senior Layla Williams. She is the first winner and recipient of the San Diego Padres Johnny Ritchie Breaking Barriers Scholarship. Now, Johnny Ritchie uh, is a guy that is a, a local legend, I think, in baseball circles here and credited really with breaking the color barrier in the PCL in the Pacific Coast League in 1948. Uh, he was the first African-American in that era, at least, uh, to sign a contract with the PCL team with the Padres uh, in the winter of 1947 after Jackie Robinson uh, had debuted for the Dodgers earlier that year back in Brooklyn. San Diego high guy. Uh, A.J. Casavell wrote an absolutely phenomenal history primer, I guess, about Johnny Ritchie uh, on the website today on Padres.com, which you can find. I can't recommend it enough. A couple of stories in there about his sort of trials and tribulations. A lot of it obviously echoes what Jackie Robinson went through, uh, but it has a very real San Diego flavor, having uh, grown up here, having uh, played here for a time for the PCL Padres, and then coming back here to live here later in his life, still has family living in the area as well. Uh, so Johnny Ritchie, an important part of San Diego baseball history, and uh, this scholarship in his honor, just another way uh, to bring his name a little bit more to the forefront here in town. So we'll talk to Layla in a moment. But one of the stories that, that stood out to me, and again, it, it's just the, the horrific nature of that era, as he's growing up, I think it was in a Legion tournament, like the Legion World Series, his team from San Diego here qualifies. They go to South Carolina uh, for the championships. And uh, the first year they get there, the organizers of the tournament did not let him play uh, because this was, you know, the 30s or the 40s, whatever it was in South Carolina. Uh, and so he goes all the way across the country with his team. They wouldn't let him play because he was black. Uh, the next year they qualify for the, the same championship tournament. And... Uh, they say, hey, we're not coming. Our team's not coming if, if Johnny can't play. And I think there was another uh, kid on the team as well. And the tournament organized said, okay, okay, you guys can play. They let him play until they got to the championship game. And then they didn't let him play. Just terrible stuff. Uh, AJ, again, kind of telling that story. Good reminders of uh, where we were in this country. We've made progress, obviously, but uh, incredible. So uh, a scholarship awarded, uh, I guess, officially or unofficially today for the very first time. Uh, Would have been great to be at Petco to help celebrate that. Uh, but Layla, the recipient of that, is a phenomenal uh, young lady, a high school senior. And yesterday afternoon, I got the opportunity uh, to talk to her so we could all hear her story. Layla, first off, congratulations. Uh, a very nice accomplishment. One of many for you, I know. 
How does it feel to be the uh, first ever winner of this honor? Um, it really feels great. I mean, I'm really inspired and motivated to pursue college. I mean, with this whole scholarship thing, I just, I honestly feel so blessed. I mean, it's just really going to be helpful for my financial stability in college and just really help me get through. One part of the scholarship is overcoming adversity and breaking through barriers, as Johnny Ritchie did with the PCL Padres uh, in the late 1940s. I read the essay that you submitted as part of the scholarship application. Uh, first of all, it was really, truly brilliant. Uh, your story is incredible. It was very well told. But maybe you could tell everybody a little bit about, you know, some of the the obstacles, if you can even call them that, mm-hmm. that have been in your way. Yeah. So, I mean, just from the beginning of my life, it's always kind of been a struggle. I mean, I grew up low income. I had to always, you know, house hop and couch surf. And luckily, my grandma, she had a back room in her house. So that way, me and my mom could live safely and, you know, Back in those times, it was really hard because my mom didn't have a job, but she was really trying to search for one. And, you know, she just never really got one. So we had been living off of assistance my whole entire life. And she just always stressed for me that school was really important and that if I really wanted to, you know, not live like her and not make the same mistakes as her, she's like really stressed for me to always just, you know, push through no matter how hard it is to always go and accomplish my dreams no matter what. Yeah, uh, you're certainly doing that. And then some, a 4.3 GPA, I believe, somebody told me uh, at San Diego High. I, I, that's like a full point and then some higher than, than mine was. Uh, so obviously, this was not the, the senior year of high school that anybody would have envisioned in terms of uh, the, the current state of the world right now. Uh, but it is what it is. Uh, you've overcome uh, certainly more than that. So tell us a little bit about what the what the plan is moving forward for you now. Um, for now, we're just kind of playing it by ear with this whole quarantine thing. But once we get out of it, my whole plan is to go to college, you know, UC Santa Cruz. Um, I'm planning to major in neuroscience um, to hopefully better my chances of becoming an OBGYN. And I'm just really looking forward to being able to study in college and pursue a pathway that I really enjoy. How did you become interested in that specifically, OBGYN? Um, so it started from when I was a kid. I've always been interested in the human body and the way it functions, but it wasn't until I got to middle school and we started studying life sciences and sex education where I really realized like, wow, I like I really enjoy learning about the reproductive system and just how it fully functions. So from there, I decided like, mom, I really want to do this. So she helped me figure everything out and we decided to go to San Diego High so I could be in the med tech program. And from there, I've just been able to go on so many great field trips and seminars and be able to just really get into the field and understand like how it works in hospitals and decide like this is really the job that I want to do. Have you been able to, I guess, meet some mentor type people along the way while you've been doing all that? Yes, of course. So, of course, my mom is my main mentor, but I also have a few more like my med tech teachers, uh, especially like our med tech coordinators. Um, They've just really been helpful to me. And then they've taken me on so many field trips where I've also got to meet many doctors and go to ERs and talk with doctors about their experiences. And I mean, it's just so great to me, like, Honestly, I wouldn't have been able to accomplish all these goals and achievements if it wasn't for my mom and my teachers in MedTech. Layla Williams is the uh, first ever recipient of the San Diego Padres Johnny Ritchie Breaking Barriers Scholarship. Uh, Who else uh, besides uh, mom and and teachers and some of the doctors you've met have have really kind of helped you uh, on this journey that you've been on your entire life? Um, definitely my counselors. And another big thing for me was my grandpa, because growing up, I never really had a father figure. And my grandpa was the main person in my life. You know, he was a sergeant major in the Marines. So we always had that rigid structure and he was always 
making sure that we were on point and making sure that, you know, I knew that college was the main way to go. You know, for him, it was just like school is the way to go. And to achieve your things, great things in life, you need to be educated and you need to have structure in life and you need to be able to push through no matter what. So, I mean, just having him as a kid really just helped me and like to really push me to achieve my goals, you know. But of course, when he passed away recently, I really took that hard. So that was another challenge for me to overcome because I had never faced something like that in my life. You know, it was like not only losing a grandfather, but also losing my father, kind of. So I had to push through that. You know, of course, it was really hard for me and challenging in those times. But I mean, I got over it and I went straight back into my path of school and realized, you know what? I always got to continue to push through no matter what, because at the end of the day, this is my life. And, you know, I've got to achieve my own goals. Uh, Layla, it's a it's a tremendous story of perseverance and breaking through barriers. That's what the scholarship is all about. Uh, it was uh, really remarkable, remarkable for me to be able to read about you a little bit. Even better to be able to have this conversation. Congratulations again. Hopefully uh, school will sort of uh, pick up uh, as normal as possible. I uh, can't wait yeah. to follow uh, your, your path uh, further through college and, and beyond. Congrats again, and thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Thank you so much. That is Layla Williams, the first ever winner, the inaugural winner of the uh, San Diego Padres Johnny Ritchie Breaking Barriers Scholarship off to UC Santa Cruz, hopefully in the fall, though who knows, a tremendous story, and, and she was wonderful to talk to. I don't think the essay she wrote for that is, is public, but I did have the opportunity to read it. She was just scratching the surface in that interview in terms of some of the stuff uh, that, that she's had to deal with. Obviously, it's up to her how much of that she wants to share on a, on a show like this, but a phenomenal young woman, uh, very excited for her. And, and I do, Annie, we were kind of talking about this off the air, and Bob, uh, the high school seniors, I mean, uh, among the groups of people I, I feel for right now, Annie, they're, they're maybe near the top of the list, missing so many of those sort of seminal moments uh, at the end of high school. Yeah, absolutely. And first, shout out to Layla. Jesse, I love that interview. I mean, I got, I got chills watching that. That's what it's all about. Um, she is indeed at Breaking Barriers, and I can't wait to see what she does going forward because it's truly inspiring. So um, good luck to you, Layla, and I know that you are going to continue to impress along the way. But yeah, absolutely. You look at these seniors who are missing out on like senior ditch day and senior prom and senior graduation. And you, I, I feel bad. Like, you know, you guys know those were fun or hopefully fun times growing up. I don't know. I can only speak for myself. So, um, but yeah, those, those guys aren't going to get that back, but hopefully they can learn to do a little something along the way to celebrate, I guess. I, I don't even know, maybe a zoom graduation or something. Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? Because they've spent their entire high school career waiting for this moment to wreak havoc on the rest of the school and, and the lower the lower uh, grades and everything, and they're getting denied that opportunity. But uh, you know, it's a tough time for everybody. And uh, you know, in just my own personal experience with my son, who is a high school senior and going through that right now, the kids have really tried to stay connected. They're finding different ways to still be a part of each other's lives. And uh, yeah, they're certainly missing out on a lot of unique things that they'll never get a chance to re-experience. But at the same time, um, we're all trying to, to learn how to do things in a different way, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, there's uh, there are there are bigger issues, I suppose, than uh, prom. Yeah. But maybe when you're 17, 18, it doesn't feel like it. So I, I do feel for them. <laughs> I feel like we're a month away from a Zoom prom story. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. everybody in their prom outfits, hair done, yeah. Zooming things. Graduations, all of it. You know, I mean, you have to figure that schools are going to try their best to get creative and, and do something for these kids uh, best they can. Uh, all right. Speaking of uh, the state of the world, obviously the name Dr. Anthony Fauci has uh, become uh, very prominent in all of our lives uh, for many different reasons. 
Uh, he did an interview, I think it's going in three parts today, tomorrow, and the next day uh, on Snapchat. It's really good stuff. And he was directly asked about sports and sort of this general idea about the the bubble project. I've called it eight different things. But, you know, this idea that's sort of been floated out there that all the baseball teams would go to Arizona uh, and and just kind of be sequestered there for the season, whatever it might be. Fauci, who grew up in the Bronx, a huge Yankee fan and is now a big Nationals fan, uh, had what I thought was perhaps at least a little bit of a surprising response. We've got some video for you. People are still holding out hope for some kind of abbreviated baseball season this summer. College football will start in late August, NFL right after that. Do you think those sports seasons are in jeopardy? Are we going to have college football this fall? There's a way of doing that. Nobody comes to the stadium. Put them in big hotels, you know, wherever you want to play. Keep them very well surveilled, namely a, a surveillance, but have them tested like every week and make sure they don't wind up infecting each other or their family and just let them play the season out. I mean, people say, well, you know, you, you, you can't play without spectators. Well, I think you probably get enough buy-in from people who are dying to see a baseball game particularly me. I'm living in Washington. We have the world champion, Washington Nationals. You know, I want to see them play again. So like I said, I think just when I saw that video clip, it surprised me a little bit because he was more enthusiastic about it than I might expect uh, America's top virologist to be. Uh, and then I read the transcript of the full interview, which is on Vanity Fair. It's a, it's a Vanity Fair production right there. And it was a lot more nuanced than what they put out on video. So this is one of those, I'm not going to use the term fake news, but like always be careful when you're consuming media uh, to try and get as much information as you possibly can. Now, look, he said all of those things, obviously, and you could see the look on his face and like the way he lit up when talking about baseball. So, A, clearly like all of us, a fan who just desperately misses this sport that means so much to all of us. But his his full answer, which you didn't see on the video, began with, you know, to be honest with you, Peter, I don't know. I really don't. And it's sort of along the same line as the question you asked about the schools. It's really going to depend on what actually evolves over the next couple of months. And that, I suppose, is sort of the thing that we all knew uh, that, you know, there's no way to predict any of this. But, Bob, some definite enthusiasm from Dr. Fauci. Well, you, you have to appreciate that. And I think that you hit the nail on the head, Jesse, when you said he's a fan. He wants sports back as much as any, everybody else does. But I, I, I appreciate you bringing up the fact that there was more to that interview than we actually saw. And there are some realities. There are a lot of logistics that need to be worked through. And as much as everybody wants to try to return to some normalcy, and again, I, I go back to what happened in 9-11 when I was a member of the Montreal Expos and the entire United States stopped. And one of the things that we heard from the president of the United States, who was in contact with our leadership, was we need to try to get baseball back going as quickly as possible to try to bring some normalcy back to people's lives. I'm not trying to compare this situation to 9-11 anyway, but just the thing of baseball being stopped and sort of everyone's desire to get something up and running again. Um, but there's just some logistical realities in terms of people's health. And, and as much as we, we want to try to get things going again, there there's two things. First of all, just the realities of, okay, by doing this, are we putting athletes and their families in further danger by trying to force something too early? And the other part of it, and, and I, I know that Annie referenced this a couple of shows ago, is just sort of the public perception of, is it too much too soon? You know, there's some major issues going on in the world right here. Yes, we want to try to get some some entertainment back in our lives. But at the same time, we need to have appreciation and respect for what's going on in, in a global fashion right now. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, Fauci's dropping some bombs there. I was surprised at that. I, I until I kind of took a step back and looked at the same thing and thought, OK, maybe he is just coming from a, a fan standpoint, um, because what is interesting, too, is that 
there's still a lot of talk about not enough testing. So to think about the magnitude of testing that would have to go into this baseball biodome, not just for players and maybe their families, and but also the people that work in the hotels and the people that go to the stadiums and people that drive them. And just, it just seems to, um, to not quite, you know, match up, I guess, with what the rest of the world, what we're seeing in the world from this pandemic. But I did think it was really interesting too, because it kind of puts Major League Baseball in a weird position where, you know, it's like here you have this guy at Fauci that a lot of people have grown to, to really respect and trust over this pandemic saying, well, I kind of could be done, maybe, you know, and kind of puts them in this kind of spot too, where it's like, you know, well, how much more do we, do we really look at this or really try to push it through or whatnot? I think it's a, it's going to be interesting to follow, but yeah, we, we saw Clayton Kershaw. We saw uh, Mike Trout come out and say, I don't want to be away from my families that long. I don't want to be away from my kids growing up that long. Um, so whether or not, you know, players will buy in, not to mention the logistical things that might have to happen for this to work and where the world is at, all of those things play in. But it was a, a surprising sense of optimism that I saw from Fauci as well. Yeah, I think to me, a lot of his answer, if you kind of step back and think about it a little bit, it was almost theoretical. Yeah. You know, he was, he was coming at it in this scientific way of like, well, here's what could happen and what could work and like how you would have to do it. Not that, as you said, it's necessarily uh, fully realistic, although we do know that MLB has been kicking that plan around, like you guys said. You got to get buy-in from the players, which is not going to be a simple thing necessarily. There are the economic, you know, stuff uh, that goes into it. No fans. That's a big chunk of money that's not coming in. How does that impact the TV deals? Who's getting how much money, et cetera? And then, you know, the optics of it all, as you said, with the world kind of going through everything that it is, we're going to be trying to play baseball and perhaps pulling resources uh, if you're doing this in Arizona from that community, from a medical standpoint. So plenty of questions to still be figured out. Uh, but, you know, we're just trying to keep up with the news, which, of course, changes uh, in some way, shape or form. Every single day, I, I to me, Bob, like Andy said, I mean, when both Mike Trout and Clayton Kershaw come on the record, uh, uh, that's that's something we should listen to because those aren't, you know, two random big leaguers. No, certainly those are big names. And those guys are going to have a lot of pull and sway when those meetings go on at the Players Association about how do we move forward with this thing. But I think it brings up a really interesting point in terms of, look, there's the Players Association, right? They have a union and they all want to represent the same thing. But just like Within ownership, you've got large markets, you've got small markets, you've got medium markets. Everybody sort of has a different interest and different concerns and different motivations. It's the same for players as well. It's easy. I don't want to say easy, but it's easier for Clayton Kershaw and Mike Trout to say, look, it's important for me to spend time with my family. Those guys are financially set. What about the, the guy that's got 30 days in the big leagues? And this was his opportunity to finally establish himself as a major league player. He doesn't have the financial resources to get through this type of situation. He doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have a kid. For him, it's just, hey, man, I got to get on the field. I want to play ball. So there's, you know, people coming from all different angles on this in terms of, you know, the, the playing time and, and establishing themselves. Some guys are injured. Some guys um, we're right on the cusp of having breakthrough seasons and, and maybe making the, this is their free agent year. So a lot of diverse motivations and, and things that the Players Association alone has to take into account as they move forward, let alone what the ownership side is and the logistics that we've already talked about as well. So there's a lot that needs to happen here. If, uh, if I had to sum it up in one word, uh, I would say complicated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no question about it. But I think everybody wants the same thing as to get baseball back on the field as quickly as possible, but do it in a way that's that's safe and and makes sense for everybody. 
Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure that's uh, that's the plan. That's what Rob Manfred has said. He goes, look, we're not going to do anything until, you know, we kind of get the go ahead from everybody uh, from a health medical standpoint. And that is a complicated thing. You're talking about well over a thousand people, if not two thousand people all in when you consider the players, the coaches, the staffs. Uh, and obviously anybody who might be involved in uh, the ballparks or in the rest or uh, the food service that's going to be uh, provided and the hotels where the guys are going to stay, all that kind of stuff. All right. That's uh, kind of what we have on this uh, Jackie Robinson day on this Wednesday evening. Uh, fun show for you coming up tomorrow. Don and Mud will be here as uh, they preview their big uh, Friday virtual telecast uh, between the Padres and the Giants. I don't know if I'm allowed to say who's starting for the Padres, but I'll give you this hint. It is someone who has uh, not pitched in the big leagues in real life. Mm. Mm. Question for you, Jesse. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say, though. (laughs) Is there a virtual ice cream machine there for Mark Grant to be able to have snacks during the game as well? Little known fact, he actually has a a soft serve handle in his kitchen in Alpine. It's always (laughs) available. (laughs) You don't have to worry. (laughs) Okay, everything's good then. I got to tell you. No, go ahead. Finish. I was going to say, sometimes he takes a bowl of cereal over and he just fills it with ice cream. It's uh, it's quite a show. <laughs> I got to tell you, I was watching this the, last Friday and I was like, I, I, I was allowing myself to feel like it was just really happening. You know what I mean? Like it was, this, it was real, you know? Yeah. It, uh, it definitely it definitely did that. Uh, Matt on uh, YouTube, by the way, he wants to know if we're live. Yes, we're live, Matt. The interview was taped yesterday, but the, the rest of this is live. We are doing this. So that's a good uh, chance for me to remind everybody every Monday through Thursday, uh, at 5.30 p.m. And then on Fridays at 5.30, as mentioned, Don and Mud with their virtual telecast. Uh, it's the Padres and the Giants coming up. Padres had a 6-4 win over the Dodgers last week. So the virtual Padres are undefeated on the season uh, one and oh. Big thanks to both Bob and Annie. Got the pointing right today for the first time. And uh, great to see you both. Uh, continue to stay healthy and stay well, you and your families. You thanks too. you too, Jesse. Thanks, Annie. Take care, guys. Thanks. Thanks, thanks for having me, guys. We will uh, wrap it up like that. As mentioned, back tomorrow with Don and Mud at 530. Uh, congratulations again to Layla Williams, and thanks to her for joining us. I uh, hope everybody enjoyed the show. And, uh, yeah, if you missed Don and Mud on on uh, Social Hour last Thursday, it was quite a thing, and I'm sure tomorrow will be as well. Have a great night. Stay safe. Wash your hands. And uh, we will talk to you tomorrow evening at 530.